All right, let's get this thing going. Um, I'm Reagan Long of Local Brewing Company, and this is the Brewer to Brewer podcast from All About Beer. My guest today is Sean O'Sullivan of 21st Amendment, and he is here for a conversation that goes beyond the brew house and into topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious beer drinkers. First, please visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We'll get into the conversation in just a moment, but first, this message. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Some of the brightest brewers across the country have discovered the First Tea Advantage. Hill Farmstead, Sweetwater Brewing Company, and Angry Chair are among the many who have used First Tea's unique and quality teas and botanicals to create top-rate beers. First Tea focuses on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find out more about First Tea's collaboration with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com slash blog. That's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A dot com slash blog. All About Beer is back. And we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops. Uh, let's get into it. Get into it. Um, about my guest today, Sean is the 21st Amendment brewmaster and co-founder with Nico Frasia. He manages and oversees brewing operations and innovation. Sean started his brewing beginnings at the Triple Rock Brewery in Berkeley, California, and also in San Francisco at Steelhead Brewery and 20 Tank Brewery, which is one of my favorites. I love that. I didn't know that about you. Um, prior to brewing, Sean was a photojournalist for a local weekly in Los Angeles, shooting political and punk rock club photographs, and was once offered a position in the kitchen at Chez Panisse in Berkeley. He also worked as a producer for CNN and, and as a corporate law clerk at a large New York law firm office in Los Angeles. Back then, he was in the process of going through the hoops and hurdles of applying to either business school or law school when he jumped ship, traded his suits for boots, and was saved by beer. Hallelujah. He enjoys being a father to his amazing son, loves to travel, which he does a lot of, uh, which we'll talk about an upcoming trip. Um, and he has a penchant for cooking and DJs for a local independent radio station. Sean graduated from the University of California, Los Angeles with a degree, degree in psychology. Thank you so much for joining today, Sean. It's, I'm super pumped yeah. to be able to talk with you. Reagan, I'm excited to be here, and uh, thanks for reading it. I feel like you're reading my eulogy. <laughs> <laughs> I felt the same way in the last one. I was just like, wait, that's what that went into? But anyway, it just it paves the, the groundwork for our conversation today. So welcome. Absolutely. Thank you. It's, I'm excited yeah. to be here. I think this is a great uh, podcast, and uh, uh, let's get into it. Yeah. So, well, first of all, what are you drinking right now, beer-wise? Well, so uh, I'm having an El Sully, but with a twist. So uh, this is a beer that uh, we've been doing some small uh, 
beer projects and packaging them at our uh, pub in San Francisco. So I'm having an El Sully with lime. And oh, this cool. is a beer that we uh, we brought out for Cinco de Mayo. Okay. Uh, so it'll be released for, for that uh, that American holiday. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so and like background on El Sully, though, like that's won a couple of awards, right? The original? Yeah, so, yeah El Sully is our American, uh, our Mexican style lager that we innovated at the pub in San Francisco. And then we started packaging. I can't remember what the date was. But uh, it came about because I grew up in Southern California, where I, you know, grew up uh, at the beach and spent a lot of time surfing and in the water and drank a lot of Tecate and Pacifico. And so we thought it would be fun to sort of make this beer up here. Uh, and it's it's a bit of a twist. It's like a, it's an, a, an, an American Irish brewer making a Mexican lager. And, <laughs> and people call me uh, Sully. So uh, it's called El Sully. So it, it overinflates my ego, which helps as well. And it and it did win some awards. It's won a couple of awards. It's won a gold and a bronze at the Great America Beer Festival. And check this out: the American Cream Ale category. Right, right. <laughs> Which is funny because it was a it's a category that you know it's a head scratcher because people hear Mexican style lager, American Cream Ale, but it touches all those those points in the category uh, description. And we sort of were the trailblazer because now when you look at that category, a lot of Mexican lagers win in that category so oh okay yeah, yeah i so. remember being at jbf in the award ceremony uh when it got the gold in, in the cream ale i was like oh my gosh that's so creative i would never thought but like so amazing right it is and it's also one of those things i think because i've been judging beer uh, at that level of the jbf and also world beer cup uh and you become a better brewer because of it because you really see what judges are looking at and you know how important those descriptions are when you're looking at the GABF categories and you have to really like have the come to Jesus talk to yourself. Hey, does my beer fit into that category? So, uh, yeah, we were, uh, we were, we were, we were lucky and, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a great tasting beer. I love it. Yeah. It's fantastic. Well, I can't wait to get down to the pub to uh, try that version with lime in it. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, that's one of our things in common. We have many things in common, but one of them is that we both operated, um, or I operated, you currently operate um, in the South Market neighborhood of San Francisco. So that's where you and Nico got your start. Maybe you want to just kind of, I mean, you're a national, 21st Amendment's a national brewery now, but in the 2000s, right? That's when you guys started up. Maybe you want to give us a little bit of background on that process. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, Nico and I met in 1995. I was an assistant brewer, just a brand new, you know, very green assistant brewer at Triple Rock Brewery. And, uh, we just uh, started fostering a, a friendship. You know, we we met later on at UC Davis when I was taking courses uh, uh, in uh, in brewing out there, and he was there as well, writing uh, about those courses for the Celebrator Beer Magazine, if you remember that mm -hmm. magazine back in the day. And so uh, we just started talking about the idea of opening a brewery. It's something that I always wanted to do, a brew pub. It's something he wanted to do as well. Uh, he had a big. He was a he was a theater major at Northwestern. So uh, he was trying to be an actor in Southern California. So because of that, he had a lot of restaurant experience. So he was capable of running a restaurant, managing it and, and, uh, and managing a staff as well. And so we, uh, so I took on the, when we came up with the idea, I, I of course became the brewer and he became the manager, you know, front of the house manager. And we looked in the South of market area uh, where we are now. Uh, we were looking for a, a place that, 
it, it had a large enough space for a small little, you know, industrial brewery there as well. And the rents were cheap back then. So it was, you know, a time in San Francisco where in, we signed the lease in 1998. And it was a time in San Francisco when the area wasn't that great down there. I mean, there was a yeah. lot of problems. There was a lot of, you know, drugs and homeless activity. And um, and then we opened in 2000, the same year that uh, the Giants started playing baseball. San Francisco Giants started playing baseball uh, in March of that year. And um, and just to continue on with that story, we it was the end of the first dot-com bomb. <laughs> So that's what we were, that's what we were, uh, we, we were up against right when we opened, it was like, you know, pets.com that was back in the day when that was going, that was big. And all those, I can't remember what the other ones were at the time, but it really impacted our business because all those people went away, but we had those baseball games, which kept us alive. And that's really what kept us alive all these years was those, you know, those 81 games or whatever it is, um, at that ballpark. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, an interesting neighborhood. We're kind of going through that flux right now. Right. And I, I talked about a little bit about that on the previous podcast about us, but, but you guys have such a following there um, year round. Now people still come through and, and it's like a go-to spot for baseball games. I, I remember when I opened my brewery, um, people were like, we're not telling anybody about local because we don't want it to become 21st amendment where it's so hard <laughs> and we can't get to the bar. <laughs> and, and I said, just please tell, please tell a few friends. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. It's, uh, I kind of like, uh, an example of that, uh, you know, opening day was not to the home opener was not too long. It was a few weeks ago and it every year, when they come back, the fans come back, it's overwhelming. It just, it's like Christmas. You just, you know, you feel the energy and it's super yeah. exciting. It's very festive. And so, um, you know, there was a line to get in and we haven't had a line to get in in a long time, you know, because of the pandemic and all that and We're certainly impacted by that. I know you were as well. So uh, we're very, very thankful that baseball is back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 a great neighborhood when there's games happening for sure. But that yeah speaks to so early on. So that was the early two thousands, right? And so when you guys were getting everything going, and you really quickly, you're one of the few sort of brew pubs, you know, in the city at that time. There was what maybe maybe like eight or nine, right? Yeah, so, about eight or nine, exactly. Yeah, you and you guys reached capacity early on. So I remember you guys sort of transitioned and had to actually do some some contracting outside of. The the city that was your growth step right yeah so what ha how that happened is like a a step back from that is we got into uh putting our craft beer in cans back in 2006 which was a really it was a huge novelty at the time i mean right. uh, there was probably 20 of us in the country maybe even less that are putting craft beer in cans and so uh how that came about is i went out to Oscar Blues. I went out to actually Denver, Colorado in the 2005 GABF. And I took a visit out to Oscar Blues and saw what they were doing. They were putting the Dale's Pale Ale in cans. And I was kind of like blown away by that. I was like, oh my gosh, craft beer in a can. This is unbelievable. Um, I had, you know, collected beer cans as a kid. So it was speaking to me on several levels. Yeah. And I went back to, uh, to San Francisco and I told Nico about the idea of like putting craft beer in a cans, you know, our two most popular beers at the time were watermelon wheat and our IPA. And he thought it was the dumbest idea in the world. Hmm. Uh, and so, but then we looked into all the great reasons of why, you know, with all those reasons we know about cans right now, it's better for the beer. It's recyclable. The cans are recyclable. You can take it places. Uh, you can't take bottles. And so, uh, so 
you know, we had this little two head filler in the back, you know, in our brewery there, our brew pub in San Francisco, you know, kicking out like a whopping like 14 can uh, cases an hour. And we had bought, you know, like a million cans because uh, the minimums were so high back in the day. So we were like, what are we going to do with all these cans? And so we took a we took a page out of Pete Slosberg, who was a friend of ours from Pete's Wicked Ale, uh, about the notion of contract brewing, you know, uh, and also saw what Sam Adams was doing. And we uh, found a brewery in a little town called Cold Spring, Minnesota, which is about an hour and a half outside of Minneapolis, St. Paul. And we started contracting there in 2008. And what that allowed us to do is to grow really quickly. We didn't know this was going to happen. We just thought we'd go out there and just brew some beer. And we'd develop relationships on the East Coast with distributors in those markets, as well as, you know, our, our uh, you know, we were starting to flush out the West Coast. We were in Washington and Oregon, I think, at the time. So it wasn't huge, but it was nice. We were in the middle of the country and uh, we were able to sort of like ship in both directions. And how we found Cold Spring, we were just literally, I was looking through breweries that had canning lines. And we talked to a few uh, a few breweries that had canning lines, but we had to play, they 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 kind of pigeonholed us into that we had to use their yeast. We had to, they were very like, there are a lot of guardrails up on the process at these places. And so what it was in Cold Spring is I called Mike Knipe, who was the brewmaster who was there for like 50 years. And I said, I called him up and I said, hey, Mike, this is Sean. I'm out here in San Francisco. Um, listen, we want to come out and like brew our watermelon beer and then uh, and add watermelon into it. We want to use our own yeast and we add these other spices in this other beer. And he was like, oh, yeah, I think we can do that. <laughs> and so we went out there and, you know, in 2008 and brewed like a thousand barrels of beer in that first year. Uh and this is a little town. There's like less than 3000 people, but there's five bars. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we ended up, uh, it worked out really well because we were able to expand really quickly. Uh, we didn't have that capital, uh, you know, uh, need because we had the available capacity there and it was challenging. It was very challenging. I mean, it was like hard to make these beers there. It was an old, like, uh, you know, regional uh, brewery that had very old equipment. So there were definite challenges there. But what happened later on is years later, they actually put in a state-of-the-art brew house. And so we were able to capitalize on that. And a large part, it was because they were, they were they, their business plan was to offer um, this, uh, this brewing option for other regional breweries from outside the area to, to come in and brew the beer in the markets that they could sell it in. So, it, you know, growth is one of those things that's very hard to manage (laughs) and capital intensive. So, yeah, well, I mean, speaking of, so then what, what made you, what drove you to then? um, So you, you were doing contracting for what, about five, five to eight years before you decided to bring it back. Yeah. So yeah, we were starting in 2008 and we started brewing uh, in 2015 at our brewery, our new brewery in San Leandro. So what was the, what did you ask me what the motivation was or? Yeah. I mean, basically what was that tipping point where you basically went from contracting to, okay, I'm in, in the Midwest where you're centrally located in the nation and to bringing it back to the Bay area in a much larger facility. Hubris. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, looking back, I don't know if I would have done it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were in the same position of a lot of breweries at the time. We, you know, we were growing 35% a year. It was like, this isn't, this rocket ship is never going to stop. Yeah. And, you know, and so 
you know, and then in 2015, it kind of did. And you know, for a lot of us, there was like a big, like, <laughs> you know, there was a lull there. And so you had to sort of get creative with what you wanted to do. So what the reason why we did it, though, I don't think we had to do it in retrospect, maybe not at the size we did it at, but we we needed uh, the capacity. They were running out of capacity in Cold Spring. They were taking on other contracts. They became a huge co-packer of like White Claw and what and Monster. And so we were competing. Mm -hmm. We had competing. Uh, we were competing for those line times on those on those canning systems. Um, and so and we weren't able to innovate anymore. So. Uh, and it was always, you know, this is the hubris part. Uh, it was a, you know, it was a dream of Nico and I to like bring the beer back to the Bay Area. So, right. yeah. So in 2014 we started construction, and in 2015 um, we started brewing uh, down there in San Leandro and what was an old Kellogg plant. So you know, that's where they made Rice Krispie treats and all that stuff that we grew up with as kids. And it's a huge facility and. What happened in 1995? Kellogg's left the air, left that facility, and then went elsewhere. Um, but it laid fallow for a long time. There was really nothing going on there, and the campus is huge. I mean, the building space is ginormous, and they had like other facility, other buildings across the the lot from us. So it was a huge campus for them. Yeah, it's it. I actually was just out visiting Drake's, and um, I and I just I've been to the 21st Amendment facility in San Leandro, but I didn't realize that like literally Drake's is in your backyard. Like yeah. I didn't realize they were that close to each other. Um, but it's so great because, you know, two great large regional brewing facilities right there based in San Leandro. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And, you know, I know that we'll talk a little bit down the line about, you know, some of the the additional things that you guys are going to be doing there, but I did want to bring it back to, um, you know, one of your most popular beers. Like I know that there's like, it's, it's the, the hell or high, wa high watermelon wheat beer. I heard yeah. that this is a, a very awaited day when it, when it comes to its seasonal release that people just like line up for it. So maybe you want to give us a little bit of background on that beer and how yeah. it's and well, it, it is. It's our it's our largest seasonal, and it is. It's like when it comes out, you feel like summer is here uh, in a lot of ways. And you know, we run it around from March until I think we run it until August now. Um, and, uh, and actually, we might start a little bit earlier now, like in February. But anyway, so the way that beer came about, it was at, it was back in two thousand two or two uh, two thousand one. We had just opened the pub. And this recipe is actually Nico, my business partner, Nico's recipe. So it was a beer that he brewed uh, on Oak Street in the panhandle of his apartment in San Francisco. And he came to me and he, you know, the first year we opened, he said, you know, what do you think about brewing my watermelon beer? And I was like, nobody's going to drink that crap. And <laughs> and so I we just kind of dismissed it. And then I figured out how to do it. And so the second year um, we were open, I brought him back to the brewery. And I said, I got a surprise for you. I figured out how to make your beer. And I had floor to ceiling stacks of watermelons. Oh, wow. And it just it, it just took off. I mean, it just became like this juggernaut. It's also one of those, like, it's a head scratcher because at the time, you know, fruit beers had a sort of connotation. You know, and I had to have like these big beer people who were like, you know, uh, I knew the tipping point was when like these, like these folks that are really into double IPAs and stouts, you know, the people that are, you know, really into this whole thing. And they would just whisper in my ear and they'd say, hey, Sean, I just want to let you know, you know, privately that I really like your watermelon wheat. And I was like, yes, we've got them. <laughs> but we would do launch events. We would do these things. We do watermelon. This is at the pub. We do watermelon bowling and, 
we would drop watermelons off the roof on the ground. We'd have people like all around, like cheering for this. It was just mayhem. So. Yeah, it's, it's such a great, unique beer for sure. I don't, I don't know that I know any other beer like it out there in the market. I mean, you guys, there probably aren't very many, are there? You know, it's interesting. We, 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 thank you for saying that. I mean, we feel really passionate we feel like we do, we make the best version and when we do, of course, but um, <laughs> the thing about it is that it's the watermelon is in the same family as the cucumber. And so uh, it has like a rind like refreshing spa, spa water flavor hmm. to it. I think what happens is that people think of watermelon as the Jolly Rancher artificial candy flavor. And so we don't, we're, we're not about that. We put real watermelon in, so it's not going to be this like candy bomb that you want. It's, it's just really refreshing. And, and the best thing about it is that we thought up this idea that, you know, of, uh, of putting a watermelon wedge on the side of the pint glass. And that's like, <laughs> That's a that's like a built-in billboard for when people see it. You know, they, they go, I want one of those. So you'll be at the bar sometimes and there'll be all these watermelon wheats and everybody has this huge watermelon wedge on the side as this garnish. And so one thing actually, we sold this beer. I, I, I don't know if we're still selling it, but we sell it in the ballpark in the Giants ballpark down the street. And so what we would do is we would... Uh, we would actually hand slice watermelon slices and take them down there so they could serve it, you know, with those beers as they sold it in the ballpark. Oh my, yeah. oh my yeah. gosh. That's so, so that, great. That's definitely yeah, yeah. making sure everybody's on brand. That's for sure. Yeah. And you're just people walking around and they see that and they're like, Hey, I want that. What's that? I want that watermelon beer. So, yeah, no, it's fantastic. I mean, it does kind of come down on a lot of levels to marketing, which we can certainly get into in a minute, but I, I want to go back to the other major flagship beer that I remember going to the pub and just falling in love with was the original Brew Free or Die uh, IPA. And I just noticed like, again, being in the beer industry, it comes down to adapting, innovating, right? And I just noticed the last time I was down there that you guys have diversified that line. You actually do multiple different iterations of Brew Free or Die, right? Yeah, we do. You know, so there was the original Brew for Your Die, which is a West Coast style IPA. Back in the day, it wasn't called a West Coast style IPA. It was just called an IPA. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's uh, it's low on crystal malt. It's, um, you know, it's it's essentially like pale malt, a little bit of Munich and maybe super light crystal, like 15L. And uh, it's, you know, it's aggressively hopped with great hop aroma. Um, and it was our flagship. I mean, uh, actually, it's funny because our first beers that we canned back when we had that little canner in, in San Francisco, the beers were just called Watermelon Wheat and IPA. We had not created these <laughs> fanciful names. And so what happened, flash forward in 2008, we started, we partnered up with, um, or actually Dave Wilson was our national uh, sales manager and used to work for Deschutes and he was from Bend, Oregon. So we partnered up with a, with a, with a uh, branding uh, team up there. Uh, TB, TBD with uh, Paul Evers and his group. And we that's when we really explored the idea of coming up with these fun names like Hell or High Watermelon and Brew Free or Die. Mm -hmm. And we became, you know, uh, a branded house in a lot of ways. And so uh, with that particular line, we saw an opportunity to take the to take the Brew Free or Die line and really have fun with it and innovate off of it. So we have Brew Free or Die Hazy, the other big uh, juggernaut um, aside from Hell or High Watermelon is the Blood Orange Brew Free or Die. I mean, that beer is another, it's a fan favorite. It's honestly a beer that like, um, 
if you don't like IPAs, you'll like this beer. And if you like IPAs, you'll like this beer because the blood orange flavor is really complimentary to it. So, uh, yeah, we've just had a lot of fun with it. You know, we've, uh, we've, we've got a lot of use out of those presidents on Mount Rushmore <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Statue of Liberty, of course. So, but it really fits into our whole, like, you know, this sounds like us, you know, like I'm reading off a, a pitch sheet, but you know, we have the saying, you know, we, we like to celebrate the right to be original. And I think it really comes true on these, on our imagery, especially with the, with the, those two products and beyond, honestly. And what's interesting, you know, to step into that for a moment, that the artist that designs all those cans, those labels, uh, his name is Joe Wilson and he's from England. He lives in London, outside of London. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I like, it's like a, it's like a, you know, it's an English person's like take on Americana, which I think is really kind of unique. So, oh yeah, that's, that's awesome. I had no idea. What a great story. Yeah. yeah I mean, one of the things too, is going back and what I wanted to interview you on this show is to get a little bit more just as someone who loves to learn and, and certainly um, a big fan of, of, obviously beer, um, but the business of beer, like you have had so many experiences again, you know, opening your pub, the contract brewing experience, and then opening up a much larger facility, bringing it back here, you know, and you've also had a number of partnerships, like maybe you want to tell us a little bit about the experience and, and how and why the Brooklyn partnership came about. Um, that's something that I wanted to personally, you know, know a little bit more about. Yeah, so we yeah you know, we did part. We're no longer partners with Brooklyn Brewery back in in uh, in Brooklyn, New York. Um, but what happened with that is you know there's safety in numbers uh, in a large part in this industry, and so um, we saw an opportunity uh, with well with Brooklyn saw an opportunity to sort of combine a few brands under their roof. Now it was we were still owned. You know they had a minority interest in us. And they also, the other brewery that was involved in this partnership was, was Funkworks, you know, out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And so the idea was, is um, essentially it was a sales platform. What So what happened is that it took our, you know, little meager sales team and it blew it up because everybody that was selling Brooklyn, uh, you know, their, their team started selling 21st Amendment and Funkworks and, um, so we combined the sales platform. So we got like a lot of, you know, people out there selling our beer, which was great. And then the other side of it was uh, Brooklyn made some investments into some capital improvement product uh, projects with the brewery. We upgraded our lab. Uh, we had a, um, we have a, 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 a plate and frame filter, uh, souring vessels and some other things that we purchased with that, their investment. So it, um, and, uh, and it was working out, you know, we were kind of chugging along and we were seeing some, you know, new opportunities and then COVID happened. <laughs> and, and yeah. so what happened was it, it just sort of, uh, you know, we had to really pivot and it just at the time, and then it didn't make sense to do it anymore. So um, we parted our ways. We, you know, I love the Ottaways, you know, Eric and Robin are good people um, uh, back in, you know, the owners of Brooklyn, uh, but it was, you know, we had to, we just decided it was probably best to go back to the, what the original arrangement was. So with our own team, so. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I just remember that happening and just kind of wasn't really sure of that whole process. It's amazing to hear about it. It um, just, because sometimes you got to look at those opportunities, kick the tires on it, right. Give it a go and, and see what happens, you know? 
Yeah, you, then you have to like pivot if the market kind of goes in, you know, a, a certain direction. And I think that's what happened uh, with that situation. It was like, you know, you you kind of go in with one idea and then you see what's happening and then you need to kind of like, all right, reevaluate. And also, you know, the market also flipped upside down too, just because of COVID and how be uh, beer drinking habits changed as well. Got it. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things I definitely want to get into in a bit here, but um, I want to take a quick break, but I do want to come back and talk a little bit about what you're going to be doing at the 21, 21st Amendment facility in San Leandro going forward. Yeah. So what's happening is that we have this huge, for folks who don't know, so we have, you know, I think around 80,000 square feet, <laughs> it might be a little more, uh, at our brewery in San Leandro, and it's a 100-barrel system. It's a, a GEA system. So it's German-engineered, although it was all built mostly in Hudson, Wisconsin. And we have a huge facility. We have a lot of capacity. We have a uh, we have a state-of-the-art uh, canning packaging line um, and kegging as well. And so, you know, because the industry has changed and um, we certainly have excess capacity, that we are pivoting our model in some ways, not away from beer, not away from making our own beer, but because we have this capacity that we see an opportunity to uh, invite other companies to make their products with us to and package their products with us. So one of the uh, investments that we're making is in a tunnel pasteurizer. So what this does is enables us to make beverages outside of the beer space that require pasteurization. So any sort of thing that requires, if we're adding sugar or some sort of sweetener that, you know, where, um, where the cans need to be pasteurized and sort of for shelf stability and, um, you know, sort of keep the micros out. Um, so we're excited about doing that. And if you would have told me five years ago, Reagan, that I would be excited about a tunnel pasteurizer, I would have <laughs> thought you were drinking too much beer, but you know, the thing about the thing that, you know, at the time when we, you know, we started brewing in 2015, we felt like, uh, you know, we, we had this sort of anchor around our neck because, you know, we weren't growing into the facility as aggressively as we thought. And so this is becoming, I think our greatest asset in a lot of ways. And so we are already brewing beer for some breweries right now, but really looking at other opportunities in, you know, in the outside the beer space that, uh, in, in, in the general beverage, uh, uh, space. So yeah, it's exciting actually. Yeah, super exciting. So it sounds like we'll take a quick break and then we'll circle back. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Some of the brightest brewers across the country have discovered the First Tea Advantage. Hill Farmstead, Sweetwater Brewing Company, and Angry Chair are among the many who have used First Tea's unique and quality teas and botanicals to create top-rate beers. First Tea focuses on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find out more about First Tea's collaboration with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com slash blog. That's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A dot com slash blog. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. 
Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com. Um, well, welcome back. Um, so we'll just jump right back into that topic, if you don't mind, Sean, because I, I kind of want to know a little bit more about some of that those like new products that you might be sort of experimenting with, with this new um, capacity at 21. I mean, you know, you talk about other beverages other than beer. I mean, people are doing, I mean, are you going to go back to uh, what you're, what the Midwest brewery contract brewery, are you going to do White Claw or what are you going to be? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if White Claw wants to uh, make uh, their beverages with us, we'll gladly take them on as a part. I mean, we have a lot of capacity. I mean, uh, you know, we have about three, you know, the capacity with the brew house and the, and the canning line can spin at about 300,000 barrels a year. So, uh, and that's not, and that's not, that's beyond, you know, and so when you look at uh, other beverages don't require the residence time and tanks uh, where you can make, uh, you know, if let's just use White Claw as an example, it doesn't take any time to make something like that. Right. But for us, we're also excited because it allows us to, to move into other spaces and the the NA space is really the non-alcoholic space is really popular right now. Is it great? It gains uh, a foothold here in this country where people are becoming more concerned about that, which I think is great. In other countries outside of the United States, it's it's uh, it's very popular. Um, there's a focus on that actually in 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 consumers' uh, consumption pat, uh, patterns. But and so what the tunnel pasteurizer will allow us to do is to make those products effectively. I mean that's kind of kind of the key ingredient you need to do it correctly is to have a tunnel pasteurizer. We're also going to get into like the RTD space. You know, you know the 21st Amendment name like lends itself to a, to cocktails and liquor. Right. And so, and we have the licenses um, and permits in place in order to make those for both ourselves and for for others. So, um, you know, uh, and so, yeah, it it, it kind of opens up a whole like world of beverages. I think what's really important now, especially, it will and I don't care how big or or how not big you are is that you have to look at your breweries need to look at themselves as beverage companies. Now we mm -hmm. cannot just be to be successful. We have to, and to attract consumers, we really need to like, you know, get people in the door through other, other drinking opportunities. And, you know, whether those are non-alcs, you know, RTDs, you know, hard seltzers and whatever those variants are, we need to really uh, we need to start like leaning into those beverages and start creating those things, those, uh, those, those types of, uh, beverages that people are going to want to come and, and drink. Sure. It makes sense. And, you know, <clears throat> pardon me, it actually leads into one of the things I was going to ask you, like, how do you, how do you, you know, sort of experiment with those new, no, new products? Like how do you innovate at a large, you know, within a large, you know, regional brewery? How do you, are you doing some of that innovation back at the pub? Um, I know you're doing some brewing there personally. Yeah. Days, so, yeah. I mean, is that where, how, you know, we'll talk about your brewing, but like, is that how you guys kind of pilot ideas? That's exactly how we do it. So we are using our pub facility as the test kitchen and the innovation kitchen. So we kind of come up with ideas and we'll brew it there and we'll brew several different versions of it. 
and then we'll we'll bring it over to San Leandro and then we'll you know and we'll of course we like you know create like the plan we have the the product design packaging design and you know the POS outside of that and all that and then we're able to sort of like take it from there and bring it over there was a a good case uh, example of that is you know there's this new style of beer called cold IPA which I've I've completely leaned into. I mean, I know the name is a head scratcher and people get, you know, bent out of shape, whether it's an IPL or a cold IPA, what is it? Uh, It's also, you end up describing what it isn't. It's not a steam beer. It's not a, it's not a pale lager. (laughs) And so, uh, but getting back to the innovation is that I, I, I spent a lot of time like innovating that style at the pub and, and brought it over to San Leandro and uh, it's been great. I mean, the, you know, we started brewing it, uh, you know, uh, w- less than a year ago, and it's been one of those. Uh, it, 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 the, the for me, it was when I have other brewers tell me that they really like that beer. Um, I'm like completely jazzed. You yeah. Know? To that's me, it's like that's compliment. like that's like a really great compliment all the time. Like you know, so that's an example of kind of the innovation that kind of that occurs over there. And yeah. we'll do thing. We'll do we'll do uh, brews at the pub, but we don't call them what they're eventually going to be. So it's always like this sort of skunk works kind of at you know apparatus going on where we're like, all right, we're 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 making something here, but we're not telling you exactly what it is. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I think that's what's kind of really amazing about the fact that we, you guys maintaining your pub status and based you know right there near the ballpark, still go there and try like the up and coming. I think that's when I had the cold IPA version of brew free or die was just a couple of weeks ago down there, which I just thought was like, just so great. It's, it's nice to be able to have the ability to just play around our system. And, but you're actually doing that now. So how does it feel to be back in the brewery? I mean, I know you probably never left, but you know, getting back in there, does it keep you motivated? Like, you know, you're doing the innovation stuff there. So Reagan, yeah. I freaking love it. It's not yeah. sustainable because so, so just to back up. So, you know, I was brewing for a number of years as the brewer there. And then what happened is I like, you know, we got bigger and then I, you know, now I have an office in San Leandro. Uh, it's actually why I got out of my last job because I didn't want to be in an office anymore. So I've created my own hell again. <laughs> and so nice. what's happened is that I, it, but we, 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 we've been so slow in San Francisco that it didn't warrant having a, you know, you know, having a brewer there. So I've jumped back over there. I love it. It's physical. It's what it, you know, I, you know, it's just selfishly, I enjoy it. Um, but it's not, it's not sustainable. Um, and what's great about it, you know, is that we're now going to have some of the brewers over in San Leandro come over and brew there as well. And so we'll see how that goes before I bring somebody back on full time there. But yeah, it's been great. It's just fun to kind of innovate. It really taps into my, you know, the, my ethos, which I approach brewing as, you know, a combination of science and cooking. I mean, I love cooking. You read in my bio at the top of the show that, you know, I once like tried out at Chez Panisse and was offered a job there. That really did happen, you know, and I really, at there, I was at a crux in the road of whether I was going to get into cooking or into brewing. I mean, Chez Panisse is on Shattuck Avenue. Triple Rock is on Shattuck Avenue here in Berkeley. So it was literally, they are both, they're on either sides of the street. And it was either which street side of the street am I going to go into, you go on. So you know, I decided I enjoyed cooking at home more than I enjoyed, you know, that I would then, and I thought I could, you know, brewing would be a a great career for me. So that's how that worked out. But yeah, innovation, 
it's fun. It's a lot of fun. You have to listen and you have to pay attention to what's going on. And, you know, and you, and you certainly make things that, you know, don't turn, turn out the way you want them to you. I always say the brew pub is a great opportunity to sell your mistakes. <laughs> the rule <laughs> of thumb, this is, a, yeah. this is like, this is an inside secret is that, you know, you change the name and dry hop it. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely, I think, I think we've all, we've all been there numerous times. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, thinking about sustainability and just like, you know, just, you know, you personally, we were talking a little bit earlier today about, um, again, as brewery business owners, um, just, you know, kind of like what the end game is like the, you know, and, you know, I don't, I don't know how much you want to get into this, um, you know, and have <laughs> a super long conversation, but I mean, I was telling you, and we were having this conversation earlier about the fact when I opened local, you know, I was thinking, kind of looking, thinking more around like the modern times kind of vibe where you'd have like a 10 barrel brewery and it all be neighborhood located and, and, and centric and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, that, but there's this sort of stigma around, you know, selling or unless you do it within certain parameters. And I think that it, one of the things that we were talking about, it's like, I don't have kids. Like, you know, if local continued on, it's not like I can, you know, say, okay, hey, to one of my children, take on the brewing business, you know? And so it's, it's one of the things that I really think is worth having a discussion around because it's, it's a conversations that happen with owners. And I think a yeah. lot of people, you know, have some opinions on it. And I think it's just something that needs to be discussed because, you know, we're all in this business. It, the brewing business is challenging. We're all, it's all passion oriented, but at the same time, you got to make money at the end of the day. Right. Well, it, you, you, you said it just now, this was perfect. It's we're it's passion oriented. We get into this thing because we're passionate about it. So, and we don't really sometimes, you know, especially like Nico and I, we were just a couple of beer geeks that has opened this place up and we don't really think about like, what are we going to do with it? You know, right. we, you know, we didn't, none of us had kids at the time. Uh, you know, what, what do you do? How do you do this? So you just tumble along and you start fall over yourself and you start like, okay, we're just, we're just making beer out of our pub. Okay. Now we're making beer in the back of our pub and in cans and we're selling it to this little area. Okay. Now we're making it in cold spring and now we're selling it to like, you know, 10 States. And then now we're in San Leandro and we're selling it to 35 States. And it's like, you know, and then as you get older, which, you know, I'm getting older by the way. And um, <laughs> Can't tell. I know, thank you. That was the right thing to say. Uh, <laughs> and, and you kind of wonder like, what are you going to do? What do you do with it? And I think that, you know, as owners, that conversation uh, needs to happen more often because in some ways we get pigeonholed into only doing certain things because of how does it appear? You know, how is this going to play out in, you know, in the public forum of craft beer? And we're all, I'm, you know, we're sensitive. I'm sensitive. <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to lose people. I don't want to like lose my friends and all this. And I think that, you know, as, as an industry, I think there's a conversation that has to happen because, uh, unless, like you said, if you you're not gonna if you don't pass it to your kids, maybe they don't want if you have kids, or you don't want to do an ESOP, you know, uh, you know, sell it to your employees because sometimes that has its pitfalls, you know, because you know they, you know, they want to get paid, and if you're not kicking out cash, and what's their like recourse? How are they going to get how are they going to get their money? It has to happen from a sale, and so you know a lot of breweries that are in those positions have to do that. Did you ever, um, if you don't mind me jumping in, did you ever consider doing that? In doing an ESOP? Yeah. 
You know, we, I, I think we talked about it, you know, um, but it, you know, again, it's one of those things where unless your company is growing, uh, your, how do your, how do your, how do your employees going to benefit from being employee owned? So through dividends, yes. But, you know, if you're not growing, then it becomes a challenge. And so, and also they're laden with a huge amount of debt because you're selling your stock to them essentially. Um, and so the company takes on a note for that mm. and that, and that becomes like, that has its pitfalls and challenges as well. So, you know, I think that what's interesting to me is that in any other industry, and I don't have the answer to this, by the way, but I just look at it from the, you know, the 35,000 square you know, or 35,000 foot view oh. is that in any other industry, I don't care what it was. If you were like, you know, if you started a salami company back in the, you know, the thirties in New York city or whatever, you're, you, 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 you would, you would, you would, you held on to it, but at some point you probably ended up selling it, you know, and that was your, you know, that was your reward. And, you know, in a lot of industries in the Bay area, that's, that's more, it's very, very uh, you, you noticeable. You know it. That's like a tech industry. That's the whole mandate is like grow yeah. this thing to sell it. I mean, those right. companies don't even make money and they just sell them based on like an idea. Right. So I feel like in the brewing world, we're kind of a little, it's a little bit of a head scratcher for me because I think that unless you sell your brewery, let's say that's what you want to do to a, you know, to a independent entity, then you're, that's okay. But if you sell it to a larger, like, you know, an Anheuser-Busch, Heineken and all that, that's, even though the payday could be immense, then, um, you know, you're considered to be a pariah. Yeah. Uh, and also the other thing is if you send it to a private equity firm, nobody even knows about that. And right. you slip under the radar with that. So not to call it cause a controversy, but, you know, I feel like any brewery that was my size back in 2014 and 2015 certainly had conversations that were life changing, that potentially could be life changing, you know, for yourself and your family and your employees to a certain extent, too. And uh, I feel like, um, you know, I think this is something that it's a conversation that I have that I have with many owners you know, because we're all struggling and we're, a lot of us are trying to figure out what the end game is. I don't know what that answer is. You know, we're plugging along, we're doing what we're doing. We don't have anything in sight right now. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's almost like a little secret society we have here. <laughs> like, yeah, we're each yeah. other's, we're each other's therapists, you know, it's like, well, what are you going to do? I don't know. Well, what do you think about that? I don't know. Well, this happened to me. These people talk to me. Well, I don't know. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, it's it's just such a really interesting situation and and a topic because you know I feel like yeah there's these these parameters around where it's okay and when it's not okay within the industry and I you know do you know do you feel that customers care I mean because you know, that matters I've always been customer centric so I don't I don't know do they care enough to where it moves the needle. Well, if you define, if you, it's how you define your customers. If your customer is just the person buying, uh, you know, a can of beer or a pint, you know, glass, a pint of beer from your, from your, from your shop, uh, they, they probably don't even know what's going on. I mean, do you know what's going on in the accounting world or the legal world with acquisitions? You have no fucking idea. <laughs> and so, so right. it's the same way for most beer drinkers, but we are so close mm -hmm. to it. I mean, it's like right in front of us. We are like, you know, it's just front and center for us because we live and drink this every day. And so, you know, but 
are your other customers, you know, possibly, you know, bar owners, you know, those are customers, you know, your distributors are customers too. And so, you know, is it going to affect you right. if like, you know, if you make you know, a decision and all of a sudden like that, you know, that cool beer store down the, down the, down the street that has a beer buyer that's concerned about those things and like what that looks like, you know, it's something to consider because yeah. maybe they, they don't, they, maybe they won't be happy with the decision that you make about like what you want to do with your company. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a, and it's, and I feel like, yeah, there just should be some more discussion. I was telling you earlier, like one of the things when I was on the San Francisco Brewers Guild board, that was when Anchor was bought out. And then there was this whole sort of, because the Brewers Association yes. has like these rules around, you can't be a part of the guild or association if you're owned by big beer. And it was just so hard for me personally to be like, you know, we're kicking anchor out of the guild right now because they're, I mean, I'm happy they're still alive and around. They're the oldest craft brewery in the nation, you know? So yeah, it's, it, that was a travesty in my opinion. I mean, for the listeners, it's like, you know, anchor was bought by Sapporo mm -hmm. and, uh, and the rules, like you said about the Bay Area Brewers Guild was they, they, was, they were not, they were voted that they couldn't be in. And it was just sort of like, what the, I mean, like you said, oldest craft brewery in the country, you know, and it's Anchor Brewing Company. I mean, they built this city on, you know, on beer, not rock and roll. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I just feel like that, I mean, just clip their wings a little bit, you know, give them non-voting rights or whatever it is. But it was just like, that was like a, that's to me, like the myoptic view of like craft beer in some ways is like, we are literally like eating our own young because we are so, we're, we're a little too precious at times, I think. And this is coming from a guy who's been doing this for almost 30 years. Right. And I love craft beer, but I feel like we are a little too precious at times, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I mean, <clears throat> we're in the industry with, you know, small, small, you know, players, big players. I just feel like it's, it's just great to have so many different players and, you know, and you learn something from every, every level of, of this industry. And I feel like, you know, removing people from certain or breweries from certain situations, it's just, it seems a little short-sighted to me anyway. Exactly. To me, it, I feel like, look, we're in a nation where it's becoming their exclusivity is becoming a thing. We need to be more inclusive in all areas of life. Right. Right. You know, I don't care what it is, but we need to be including people rather than excluding them and 100%. not making it hard, hard for them to be part of this, 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 this process and everything. I mean, if anything, if anybody should be doing anything right now, I think you should be opening up more craft brewery distributors. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. they're going away. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I'm going to wrap this up here soon just to, to be conscious of your time. But before we do, I do want to touch on a couple of things. Cause you just dropped a reference to one of my favorite songs. Uh, we build the city. Um, <laughs> so you do, um, you know, you, I, I know you're going to be traveling. You're, you know, going to be going on a trip. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, you can't drink beer and make beer and run a beer business all day long. So yeah. So I'm a very creative person. You know, I like to, you know, I, I take pictures, I cook at home, I travel a lot. I mean, I like to like take the beer hat off. Yeah, and so I have this little, you know, this little radio show on this little pirate radio station called Radio Valencia FM, 
Uh, the show is called Sufficient Grounds with your Sully. And you can tune in every Sunday at 10 o'clock Pacific time and, and check it out. And so I'm just like getting my legs underneath me with it. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, I kind of go in there. I play records, music, have a little patter. I play a lot of different eclectic stuff. It's like classic college radio station uh, uh, music. You know, it's like stuff maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't. So You've been doing it a while though, right? I've been doing it for a little over a year. So I'm also oh. volunteering with Calix Radio, which is the UC Berkeley radio station, because I want to get a show there as well. So I've got this little radio. I got this voice for radios that what everybody I have a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, and so uh I and trip coming up, right? Yeah. So I've got a big birthday coming up. I'm turning 40. Uh, in, in <laughs> yes. May. Oh and my so, gosh. Yeah. Congratulations. Can you it? I'm you. older you. than you. I, I had no I idea. It's crazy, isn't it? How that worked out. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. So uh, I'm headed to uh, check this out. I'm going to Copenhagen or Copenhagen as you wish. And also Iceland and the Faroe Islands. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Uh, yeah. And the reason I want to go to Iceland is I've been flying over that country for for a long time coming back from Europe. And I always look down there. And I'm like, what is going on down there? How do they, what's, what's the deal with Iceland? And so I decided I'd go there. I've never been there, but my phone has one time I left my phone on, on a plane. I know that's verboten. You're not supposed to do that because you might screw things up, but I left <laughs> like it you come on. Down, was, Sean. Exactly. How did he, so uh, I flew over Iceland and my phone connected to the cell service network. So my phone was there, but not me. Got so it, I, have got it. I have to join my phone and my girlfriend uh, in Iceland. So in a, a week or so. Nice. That's so amazing. I, I It's on my list because I'm a big like oceanography, volcanology nerd. And yeah, on my bucket list is seeing the Northern Lights. So I Me hope too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's going to be great. I'm, I, I hope you're able to have a really great relaxation on your trip and um, yeah, thank you so much for your time today. I uh, really appreciate this conversation. It's been so like just hearing your breadth of experience, just, it's just amazing, you know, and, and really aspiring. So uh, inspiring. So thank you so much. Um, Thanks, everybody. Uh, Sean will be back on the next episode of this show as the host having a conversation with a brewer of his choosing. That will be on the air in two weeks. So make sure you tune in to that. Um, Sean, any final words? Thank you so much. Well, first of all, Reagan, I mean, honestly, it's been great. I mean, we've been neighbors for so long. Yeah. And uh, it took a podcast for a, you and I to have a conversation longer than 10 minutes because usually we run into each other. I think I ran into you at opening day. Yeah. Uh, we were both so a little bit lit. Yeah. We've been fun. having fun. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, this has been great. And uh, and I look forward to like doing a collaboration beer with you at some point. So, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. We were just talking about that. You want to talk yeah. about the festival at all? Yeah, we we have we do this uh, we do this big uh, festival called August Fest. It's like our birthday uh, festival, and it's in August in San Leandro. I forget what the dates are right now, and it's at our San Leandro brewery, and uh, it's just a huge party. We have food trucks, we have bands, we have a little play space for kids. We have a cigar bar which Nico Ooh, puts on, nice. and uh, and the cool thing about it is that we do these uh, we do these collaborations for it. So, and I want you, Reagan, to be part of it. I can't wait. I, this is like our opportunity to finally brew a beer together. So I'm there looking forward to it. All right, everybody visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media and to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Reagan Long. Thank you for listening to the Brewer to Brewer podcast.
First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Some of the brightest brewers across the country have discovered the First Tea Advantage. Hill Farmstead, Sweetwater Brewing Company, and Angry Chair are among the many who have used First Tea's unique and quality teas and botanicals to create top-rate beers. First Tea focuses on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find out more about First Tea's collaboration with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com slash blog. That's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A dot com slash blog. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com.